we open Your Word, Lord, we ask that You would open our hearts through Your Holy Spirit. Cause us to see and understand the things that You would have us know today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. This morning I would like to open with a scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Someone might think this morning that they're saying, gosh, you played a lot of communion songs this morning. And indeed, they were selected for the purpose of remembrance. That is the discipline we're looking at today. A spiritual discipline of remembrance. Remembering who Christ is and what He has done for us. And uh, so, you might call this a communion service sermon. And uh, so often in a number of churches, this is something they might do once a month, once a quarter, in some cases once a year. We do it every week. First, because we believe that was the practice of the first century church as recorded in the book of Acts, but also as an understanding that this is the focal point of who we are and why we're here. And a number of, of reasons that were put forth as to why not to do it every week was that it becomes like a ritual, it becomes a, a practice, it becomes something too familiar and as a result, we don't really give it the thought and the understanding and the, and that we should. I would pray that that not be the case with us. And I think that as you uh, think about it, we always, uh, the idea is, is that communion isn't meant to look like it's tacked on at the end of the service, but that it is there after the reading of the Word as we come together to share in such a way as communion together, us together, God together with us, uh, breaking the bread, sharing the blood that represent the body and, and, and the poured out blood of Christ on the cross. So this morning, we're going to be looking at that a little bit closer. And I want to start again with uh, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Paul is writing and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He'd given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The obvious key to this passage is do this in remembrance of Me. And so I was trying to put all of this together and, and it's one of those things where you don't know if you got enough or you got too much. 
because it's, it's a topic that you could preach on in a series rather than a single sermon. But I hope you catch the gist of what I want to focus on today, this really emphasis of the remembrance of Christ, what He has done. And I start with the idea that, uh, you know, we, we are people who obviously can remember things, you know, and, and, and I, I remember things in pictures. I don't know how you do, but certain words, they just key up pictures, and, and I see these things, and I think of my parents, I think of uh, my grandparents, and, and, and be in remembrance of them and who they were in my life, the key family members and friends, and I realized we all do this in some way or another. And so I was thinking, okay, how do we do the remembrance in the sense of our family and our friends? The first thing that came to my mind was uh, family photo albums. And again, I guess that's because I am in pictures. And uh, the things that you might find in the albums uh, are, are, can be absolutely amazing in documenting uh, a family's history. And... I recall uh, after Kathy's grandmother had passed away, we were going through things of hers, and we found literally a box of of albums of of, and they were put together uh, the old uh, leather bound outside with papers you know uh, that could be brought in and out by loosening the screws that held the 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 the, the end together, and and all of this work, every one with these little corner uh, deals in it and something underneath it, and it told you who the people were and what they were doing. And, and one of them chronicled their trip from San Diego to, to uh, Seattle in a 1919. And it was absolutely fascinating. It was, it was just so enjoyable to go through. And not only were there pictures, but there were letters. And that, you know, it took a long time to do that traveling back then. It takes a long time today. And, and they, they, all the places they stopped, they wrote letters. And you could see the correspondence that had gone back and forth. That somebody had taken the, uh, the, the, the time to collect together so that you could see the correspondence even. And then there were clippings from newspapers and different things that were all part of the, the thing. And then, and then another album that were clippings about uh, Kathy's grandfather and, and, and uh, uh, certain things about him and, and articles in the newspaper about his business and, and all these different things, just, just about him. And uh, so it was interesting to, to go through this. And we were able to remember, in a sense, things that we had never personally done. We were able to read it and look at it and think about it and we felt almost like we were there. Some of Kathy's grandmother's stories came to life for us. Other events that you might do in order to uh, think in terms of, of remembrance would be family reunions. I don't know how many of you have family reunions, but uh, my family, we used to do it until my grandfather passed away. And it turns out he was the glue that kept that together. And for a little while, we, we did a, a, some family reunions, but most of the time, sadly, the, 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 the reason why family would get together is because someone had passed away. But even that is a remembrance. A time of mourning, but a sense of joy if they're believers. 
and and other things I, I just put in my list here were birthdays and and other special events of remembrance. You know, and there's some of them that you know when you're a little kid you can't wait for your next birthday and you want everybody to remember it. And there's a point where you would rather that everybody forget your birthday and you would rather forget it yourself. Um, but uh, all of these different things that we do to remember people and things and events. We have a 4th of July to do what? To celebrate our independence as a nation. So remembering is a part of, of who we are. And God says, I want you to use this capability you have to remember, to comprehend, and to understand, and in a sense put in place for my son. Focused around what he has done for you. And if, you're, if you'll take a look in the Scripture, you're going to find that the whole Bible ultimately is either pointing forward to Christ or pointing back to Christ. Or briefly, in four Gospels, telling us the life of Christ while He walked this earth. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says that the, the church had become a habit of meeting together uh, on a regular basis, weekly it says, on the first day of the week. Happens to be Sunday. A transition from the Jewish Sabbath to Sunday. And, and most uh, theologians will hold that the reason for moving to Sunday was the celebration of the resurrection which occurred on a Sunday. And so we came together to celebrate what Christ had done. It's interesting that in the culture the, the, uh, that the church was, uh, was growing in, the majority of the people, Sunday happened to be a work day. And uh, as a result, they met in the evenings. There's the one story of, of, of in the, the Scriptures, in fact, it comes out of, out of Acts, uh, in reference to Paul preaching in the evening until late at night and somebody actually getting drowsy and falling out the window and Paul praying over him and, and bringing him back to us, you know, to the, to the congregation and to his family. Uh, but they went on the first day, and it says, to break bread and for the teaching. The breaking of bread is the picture of communion. They met together for the purposes of, of, of communion and teaching. And, and Paul, very clearly, it shows him that he's teaching, and then he would come to that point where he would ultimately share the bread and the cup. The weekly gathering was for the purpose to remember Christ through teaching and communion. And within the framework of that, Paul even adds in Ephesians and the idea of songs and hymns singing together to worship together. As we look into God's Word, the remembrance is an extended thing because we need to understand that God's Word is built around what Christ has done, pointing to Him and, 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 and back to Him, but also because of what the reason for Christ's coming is. And that's man's need. God created man he gave man dominion, it says in, in, the, in, the, in Genesis. 
In the beginning, God created. And He created the universe. It's interesting, as you go through the, the, the book of, of, of Genesis 1, I don't know how familiar you are with some of the uh, singers uh, out of the 60s, but there was a guy by the name of Barry McGuire. And there was an interesting thing that happened to him. He got saved. And all his music changed, including one of his most famous songs, which was uh, you know, uh, a song about the end times. And, uh, it, and he started writing things. In fact, he wrote musicals even for children. Sun, Bullfrogs and Butterflies was one that he wrote together with, with uh, uh, the, uh, I can't think of Mrs. Gaither's first name, now, Gloria Gaither. And, and it, was, it was an amazing musical. I remember uh, our, our kids doing it in church uh, years and years ago. And in that transition, he realized that, that you know, it was an amazing thing to look at the creation. It says that God put all this together so that man would know the seasons. It says that he was on a tour on the bus when he read that, and it was like it hitting like a bolt of lightning. God created the universe for man. I mean, that's an amazing thing to think of. God created for man. You know, and and so he he was excited about it, and then he was he started sharing with the guys on the bus. I'm sure that that at times maybe they even got tired of hearing it, but. But it was an amazing transition. He even had a song, I'm not going to sing about anything but Jesus. And that is what he did for the rest of his career. He was caught up with the reality of what God had done for man. What He'd created for man. What He'd put together so that man might exist. And, and creating us in His image that we might know God and, and to worship Him. Equally amazed at man's fall. Genesis chapter 3. But in the midst of Genesis chapter 3, God gives the beginning of what our hope is in Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Take my things out of my Bible here. As it's in the midst of the fall and again in the midst of, jump, of, 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 of judgment, he's speaking to the serpent, Satan. And he says, I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and, he shall, and you shall bruise his heel. Very important. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The bruising of his heel, and you notice it's the seed of a woman. Not the generations of a woman or the seeds of the woman, but the seed, singular, of the woman. Pointing ahead to the, the conception of Christ through the Holy Spirit of Mary. All of that that we celebrate at Christmas. And, and, and looking at that, right there is that picture. He says, you know, the seed of the woman. But you will, you know, you're going to bruise his heel, Satan. By the way, I mean, you know, and I know I've shared this many times, but you get a bruise on your heel, or uh, what's one of the, if it happens suddenly, what happens? You step and you just, you, you, you're down. 
Now, that was what he says. You're going to bruise his heel. It's going to appear as if you have taken him down. Later, more our prophecies added to it. We get to a clearer picture. But it starts right here. As man is in the midst of, of being uh, judged for sin and all the pictures that's going on, God is giving us hope. And He's pointing to the cross. You're going to bruise His heel. But He will you know, crush your head. That's a, a, a vivid picture, but what it means is that you will, he will take all of your all of your powers, Amy. You will have no authority anymore. He'll bruise his heel; he'll take you down, but he's going to come back up, and when he does, he'll take every, all of your authority from you, pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All through the Old Testament, we get pictures of what would be required to satisfy sin. The Day of Atonement and the sacrifice of, of, of a, uh, a bull and the sacrifice of lambs and the different things in an animal. And we see, you know, some people look at that and they see how almost crude that sounds. But it was constantly over and over again to plant the picture and the reality that the cost of sin is the blood of life. See, life is in the blood. What Paul writes in, in or what uh, the Moses writes in Leviticus, life is in the blood. And so the shedding of blood is what covers sin. But they kept having to do it over and over and over again. And Hebrews tells us the reason why was because it couldn't satisfy what was ultimately required. The perfect sacrifice, not of an animal, but of a man. There wasn't anything that would satisfy this but the blood of a perfect man. But we have a dilemma. It's on the back of our bulletins every Sunday. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're all under wages of sin, which is death. There's, there's no solution to sin but the death of man. All through the Old Testament, God is pointing more and more and more with more and clearer pictures towards the cross. In Psalm 22, one that I've shared uh, more than once on a Sunday morning here, but in Psalm 22, we have the picture of... of Jesus from the cross. Gospels are us looking at the cross when we get to that point in the Gospels. This is Christ looking down from the cross. I'm not going to go through it all, but it says it with words that we are familiar with in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. Matthew tells us that on the cross, Jesus, as He hung there, cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? It's 
to the scholars and the Hebrews and, and I would think to the priests and the, and, the, and the scribes that were around the cross that were mocking Jesus during this time, this Scripture would have to come to mind. If it didn't, it was because they were walking blind, which may well be the case. That they just couldn't see the connection at this point as they were crucifying Christ. Christ saw Himself there, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see Me mock Me. They make mouths at Me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue, for He delights in Him, is what the people cry. In other words, if you're the Son of God, come off the cross. You can do it. goes on and, and, and it says, I am poured out, in verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. You get a picture of that in John chapter 19, verse 28, of the thirst of Christ on the cross. I can count all my bones, verse 17. They stare and they gloat over me, the crowd around me. They divide my garments among themselves and for my clothing they are casting lots. Again, we can go to John chapter 19, verse 24 and see the picture of the, of the, the, the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross casting lots to see who would get his clothing. You see... God has been setting up this picture over and over and over again through the Old Testament. We will see it again and again. Possibly no clearer than what we see in, in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, it's frequently referred to as the suffering servant. In fact, if you were to read the whole passage that deals with this, you'd have to go back to the 13th verse of chapter 52. But in, in this, it says uh, that you know, he, he, he has borne our griefs, verse 4. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he was like a lamb that led to slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers he was silent. He did not open his mouth. Goes on and, 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 and tells us his hands were, and his feet were pierced for us. The Old Testament looking at the cross. In remembrance, what do you think, the, you know, as we, as, 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 these, especially I think of, 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 of going like if we would in Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting with the 26th verse and going into the upper room with, with Jesus or, you know, and, the, and the apostles and, and, and having that last supper together. And as Paul says, the, the, the theme is of the remembrance of Christ. And, and what would they be remembering? They didn't have all the New Testament that we have. They would be reflecting back on the Scriptures of the Old Testament. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to two and He speaks to them and He tells them all that was about what happened the day of the crucifixion through the Old Testament. 
And when they sat down with him, they recognized him as he broke bread. What would be required? A perfect sacrifice. A perfect man. The New Testament's Gospels explain and record the life of Christ. This person we are to remember in John chapter 1 through 18 that we've already read this morning in our reading. I do want to repeat a couple of those verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It drops down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Who is the Word? The Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. He was in the beginning. He was with God. He is God. And yet, He is a man. Philippians says that he emptied himself and became a man, a slave or a servant to men, even to the point of going to the cross, dying for us. Verse 18 says that he is the revelation of God. When you see God, you have, when you see Christ, you have seen God. And he mentions that at the Last Supper as well when John records that evening. See me, you've seen the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And John the Baptist, he testifies to who Jesus is. In verse 6 of the first chapter of John, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, was, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John wasn't the light. When they came and questioned Him, He says, no, it's someone else. I'm not even fit to tie His sandal. And when He saw Jesus, at one point He points Him out. And He says, in verse 29, John records this, the next day, Jesus is coming toward Him and He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These are the kinds of things that we're supposed to put into our album, if you will, of remembrance of who Christ is. He is the Lamb of God. He is what all the lamb of the old lambs of the Old Testament and sacrifice pointed to, the once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gospels record His birth, His teachings, His miracles, His death in John chapter 19. 28 verse, verse 28-30. through 30. As the only part I'm going to, to read of this. It's the actual time and point that Jesus dies on the cross. Knowing that all was now finished, all that needed to be accomplished, all that was prophesied in the Old Testament, hundreds of prophecies now true in Him hanging on the cross. As He says, I know everything that needs to be accomplished, perfectly done in perfect order in the way it has to be, has been done. Knowing that all was now finished, 
said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is when they came along and pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. And the the blood pours out of his side, water and blood separated heart was no longer pumping. They knew he was dead. But that's, if in a sense, that's, that's, I don't know how to say it. Is it half the good news? Three quarters of the good news? A quarter of the good news? I, I can't be sure because you can't separate it from what happens next, actually. The good news doesn't stop here. In John chapter 20, he records the amazing picture that is discovered. On the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple in whom Jesus loved. And he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And the other disciple, by the way, being John, he refers to himself all the way through the Gospel as the other disciple or the one who Jesus loved. And and so both of them were running together Verse 4, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. The cloths that they had wrapped around Jesus. His burial cloths. They saw them lying there. But John says he did not go in. He just looked in. And where Jesus should be lying, all he saw were the linens that had wrapped him. Then Simon Peter came following him. And Simon, just like the one who leaps off a boat or does a lot of other things, very quickly and very spontaneously, he went into the tomb. He didn't stop to say, what do you see, Peter or John? He just rushed into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in. And he saw. And he believed. Now what he believed here at this point isn't the full picture of of what Jesus has yet to show them in His resurrection. But he believed something amazing has happened here. And it tells us he believed but yet did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. I I look at this and I can just see these two men racing through, you know, uh, outside the walls of Jerusalem and to to where Jesus is buried and going to the tomb of of Joseph of Arimathea, which would have been given to Jesus. You know, Jesus, if you read on in in Isaiah 53, says that he should have been buried with the criminals, but instead he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, gave his tomb. He was a rich man. He gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And they, and they raced to it. And, and, and again, John just kind of... And Peter just rushes by him. 
And there they see an empty tomb. goes on. Mary stood weeping outside, verse 11, the tomb, and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid Him. What did she believe at this point? She hadn't put it together. She thought His body had been what? Stolen. By the way, that's what the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the leading council of the Jews, told the Roman soldiers who had been guarding this, we'll cover you if you spread this rumor that the disciples stole the body. You see, the guards, they fell asleep. It was a supernatural sleep. They just, I think as Jesus was raised, they fell asleep. But that was the penalty of that would be the death sentence. The Sanhedrin said, we'll cover you if you spread this rumor. And so that's what they went out and did. So the disciples stole the body. And the, and the Sanhedrin protected these guards and, and uh, kept them safe from the law. So Mary Magdalene, she says, I don't know where he is, where they have taken him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell him where you have laid. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will t uh, take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and my fa and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had these things, and He said these things to her. And they think she's nuts. They didn't know what to believe. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. In, G in verses 19 through 22, Jesus appears to the disciples, but Thomas is missing. And Jesus appears again to the disciples with Thomas there. And Thomas says, you know, you know, is still doubting. And he touches Jesus. And he touches the wounds. And he realizes, this is Jesus. And it's not a ghost and it's not a spirit. It's in the flesh. The resurrection is a bodily, physical resurrection. John tells us that he wrote all of this under the inspiration of, 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 of God. But he says very clearly in, in verse 30 of, of, of chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name that you may have life in His name. And he's, he's referencing life everlasting in His name. 
And you come to a point where you say, hey, (laughs) I want this. God opens your mind and opens your heart at some point, sometime in your life, and you say, this is what I want. This is what I need. Again, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We come through Jesus Christ, and as the Holy Spirit opens our mind and our heart to seeing this, we realize that amazing thing, that Jesus Christ indeed is the Savior. He indeed died on the cross for my sins. We personalize it. And I am saved because of His death, His burial, and the proof, His resurrection, His bodily, His physical resurrection. It's interesting that John concludes with what he records early in the Gospel where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the, in the Gospel of John chapter 3. Very familiar verses. Verses 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. And Paul yanks that together in Romans chapter 8 and he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, I had one of my professors in Bible college, it says he wasn't sure which chapter was his favorite in, in the Gospels of, if you had to put one in there. But he says, I wouldn't know what to do without chapter 8 of the Gospel or the book of Romans. In chapter 8, the book of Romans, Paul gives us just an amazing picture of who we are in Christ. Verse 1, there is, no now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. No matter what you tried, no matter what you did, including to say, I'll offer my own life, it wasn't good because it was blemished. We all have sinned. We needed a perfect sacrifice. In the gospel, in the in the book of Romans, chapter eight, Paul tells us that we are adopted children of God, and as adopted children of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus. What Jesus has promised us, looking back at what He accomplished on the cross for us, is more amazing than just being out from underneath the burden of sin here and now. For those that have received Christ, there's no condemnation. We are adopted with children and we are joint heirs with Jesus. What Jesus has inherited, He is going to share with us. And possibly 
some of the most comforting verses there are in Scripture. Starting with verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are, the, uh, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, uh, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else in all creation, nothing else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are adopted children if we have received Christ as our Savior. And He are joint heirs with Jesus. And nothing created can separate us from that. But that's all He, again, Picture's not finished. What is this inheritance? Look with me in Revelation. Chapter 21. What John records in reference to the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming again. We'll look at that a little closer at the end of the message, but Christ is coming again. And in the reference, He's coming home to take home His church, take His adopted children, His joint heirs with Him for eternal life in a heaven. And look at the heaven that is ahead of us. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, no new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We will have eternal life not with anything that we have paid, not with anything that we have come up with, but in what Christ has done. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. There's so much more. The river of life that's spoken of in chapter 22, the first five verses 
and, and, the, and the beauty of, of what heaven looks like. And then verses uh, 6 through 7. And it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. He's now completing. I've given you a revelation, John, of, of things to share and to tell the church. And these things that I have shared with you that are yet to come. And by the way, they are still yet to come. He said they are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And keeping the word of the prophecy of this book is basically resting in its hope and its promises. It's an interesting thing. You would think that with all that this is, that somehow there would be Cautious how I say this. That there'd be shrines, that there'd be memorials, that there'd be statues, there would be all sorts of things in our sanctuaries. And for some, there are. I'm going to suggest to you that those are distractions. What God has given us to remember Him is what we today call communion. The Lord's Supper. And, this, and, and, and as well in the Scripture it's called. And it's, and, it's a, and it's so simple. It's broken bread and fruit of the vine. It is wine. People say, is it real wine or, 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 or what? And it is wine. It's just new wine. That's the term of it in, in, in the New Testament. New wine. And Jesus shared on the night that He was betrayed this picture of how we are to remember Him. That's why it's so important in our spiritual discipline as followers of Christ that we do it often. It's not something... It's the memorial that Christ left us. It's not something that we take casually. And it's not something that we should... Do without having thought about it seriously and examining ourselves. That kind of takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we started this morning. For I received from the Lord what I have delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he giveth thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate what Christ has done on the cross until he comes. And we rest in his promise because of his physical bodily resurrection that is so thoroughly talked about in the scripture. And the picture made so clear that even Thomas touching him and realizing he's for real bodily physical resurrection. The tomb was empty. And that's what we celebrate at communion. And the fact that He's coming again to take His church home. New heaven. New earth. River of life. What a powerful, powerful promise that we have. 
We remember Christ clear back into the Old Testament, right into Genesis chapter 3, in the middle of the fall of man, right up to the end of Revelation, as He, as he shows us the picture of what will be ours. He has promised our homes in heaven to be with Him eternally. To share the joy of, of, of coming to know Him. And I think searching to know Him in a sense, always. Because you see, He's eternal. We are physical. We are still have the, a, a physical start in this. He has no start. He has no beginning. He has no end. I think he is, as, as physical beings, we will come to look at Him and see Him with a newness constantly and be overwhelmed at who He is and what He has done. I'd ask the ushers to pass out to communion and we'll share together. So hold the cup and the bread until we've all been served, please.